Welcome to today's edition of Daytime Dialogues. It's my great honor to have Rav David Stav with us today. Rav Stav is not only the chief rabbi of Shoham, a significant city that many of us know and have passed by when we come to Israel because it's right near the airport, but also he's the chairman of Tsohar, an exceptional organization that has accomplished so much to reach out beyond the the small enclaves of the Orthodox Jewish community in Israel to the broader Jewish community in Israel and to support so many of the religious activities that are so critical for our Jewish life. Rav Stav is visiting the United States right now. He's actually going to be back in the United States in a little while to visit KINS, but it's my pleasure to welcome back Rav David Stav. Thank you, Rav Stav, for joining me today. Thank you. Um, thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. So, Rostav, first of all, before I get into some of the things I really want to talk about, I need to talk a little bit about Sohar, just in case there still remains a person or two who hasn't heard about Sohar. Hard to believe. When you're in Israel and a person wants to get married, or when someone is coming from the United States to get married to someone in Israel, very often the address they go to is Sohar to be able to cut through a lot of the red tape that exists whenever you're dealing with government agencies like the Rabbanut Rashid. Uh, or for example, Tsohar reaches out to people who are not observant. Uh, Rav Stav, can you give me a couple of examples of the biggest programs that you have that reaches yeah, out? So the biggest, well, I will mention three of them, but actually we have today plenty of programs, but the, the most famous ones, A is the, program of weddings. I mean, a secular couple in Israel usually doesn't like to come to the rabbinate's offices because of various reasons. And he will come to Tsar offices, he will register by us, and we work uh, hand by hand with the four or five rabbinates, and we will help him to get through the system That's uh, and to get our rabbi to perform his wedding. For many of the secular people, that's the only way they're ready to get married halachically. Um, the second famous project is the project that helps immigrants, not only Americans, primarily Russian, from, from the former Soviet U uh, people that uh, arrived to Israel and uh, find it very difficult to prove that they are Lachite Jewish because they have no Ktuba, they have no approval of rabbis that uh, could, afford, could uh, confirm that they are Jewish and they need our services in order to help them to prove that they are Jewish, by the way. Every year, we help more than 500 Americans, Americans and Canadians that come to Israel and need for different uh, reasons to prove that they are logically Jewish. And when they bring letters or uh, approvals from different rabbis, most of the rabbinates have no clue who is the rabbi. Many times they come from uh, places where the rabbi is not known or they didn't, their parents did not get married logically. So we cannot uh, rely on the civil marriage that their parents uh, got married uh, 20 or 30 years ago. And they need us to help them to prove that they are logically Jewish. So that's the second project. Before you we are now uh, in Elul. Before you even go on to the second, I have to make one small comment. Even if they're coming from places like Chicago, it's not unusual that I receive a email or a WhatsApp from Yoshua Grunstein telling me, do you remember this rabbi who signed this to Bauer these Adim? Because Tsohar has helped also with them. So I'm sorry, that it's was true. I, actually, Rav Matenki is one of the rabbis that is asked, but actually I could tell you that there is no rabbi in America almost that... Uh, 
doesn't use our services or we don't talk to him and ask him about certain rabbis that passed away 20, 50 years ago and we have no clue who they are. And if we don't know, the rabbinate, of course, doesn't know. And the third project, just uh, we are now in Elul time. Um, and uh, Elul is uh, before Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. Now, I don't know if you... Uh, Listeners or viewers know that in Israel, most of the secular Jews don't go to shul, not even on Yom Kippur. And if not for Tzoha, they would not step their foot in shul because of many reasons. And I don't want to go into the reasons, but basically the, the place where they find it more um, user-friendly and more welcoming and more embracing is the 600 locations of Tzoha. Uh, where places where we take uh, JCCs and the neutral places and use them as shuls for a Yom Kippur. That's uh, the third project, but we have plenty of other, other projects as well. To give an idea, how many people do you expect to come, these Yamim Noraim, to your special programs? If uh, to believe in what happened last year, we expect to have more than 70,000 people in more than 600 locations, but to be honest with you, I'm afraid to say that uh, this year there will be a reduce in the numbers. We feel it already as a side effect of the judicial reform, the hatred between uh, secular and uh, religious people and secular and Judaism arrived to levels and to peaks that we never experienced before. And I'm afraid that one of the uh, results will be the numbers of people that will come to participate, to attend in the prayers, in the services of Yom Kippur. Well, which is an unfortunate segue to what I also wanted to talk with you about, and that is the protest, the judicial reform, and how things are being impacted. So you just mentioned one, that people are, because of the hatred, they're separating themselves from things they may have done in the past. Are there other unfortunate outcomes from these protests that you're feeling within Sohar or within your rabbinate in Shoham? No doubt. Um, we get reports from different places all over the country that uh, I would divide it to two types. Modern Orthodox people, more and more we get questions, rabbinic questions from people that ask us if they are allowed to go to work without kippah because they are ashamed to be to go with kippah because they are right away attacked for being uh, supportive of the judicial reform or etc cetera, etc cetera. and we get questions from women that ask us if they are allowed to take off their uh, head covering because of that people that go to interviews are afraid to go with yarmulkes because you know if you are a doctor and you have a five people that compete on one position and you are a principal of a hospital. Today, most probably the principal uh, of the hospital most probably will prefer a secular candidate versus the religious one because he doesn't want to, to deal with those who maybe will not treat Arabs, will not treat homosexuals, will not treat this, will not do that. He doesn't want to have problems. That's on one side. Uh, this one type of questions. The other uh, types are we get more and more uh, reports about people that do not circumcise their kids, that do not, do not make uh, Brit Mila. Uh, we, get, we saw it in, in, in reality. 
that uh, the Lela Seder for the first time in Israel's history, there was a big party of pizza in front of the hospital as a secular response to the bill that uh, allowed hospitals to check the bags of the guests uh, that come to visit the hospital. There's no doubt that uh, the gap that has been um, digged recently uh, and deepened, uh, it will be hard to fix it. Uh, you know, there's a famous statement says, a, th uh, a stone that one stupid guy threw uh, deep to the well, to the pit. We need 10 uh, smart people to take it out. We will need more than 10 people to uh, take the, um, the stones from the from the pit. Um, it's a it's a challenge. It's a challenge because it's perceived. I'm not saying it's true. It's perceived for many of the secular people. It's perceived that Judaism is today um, identified with anti-democracy, and uh, when the secular people have to choose between these two values democracy versus Judaism, they will prefer, they will prioritize democracy, no doubt. And our mission today is to, to tell everybody there is no contradiction. Democracy, democratic values could coexist with Judaism, and we don't see any other way but um, Jewishness of the country and the and democratic character, of, democratic character of the country, these two are twins, and we should not separate them. And the way it's perceived today that one force is representing democratic values, and the other one that represents or it seems to present represent uh, uh, religious values that are, are perceived to be contradicting. This is a disaster. For us, we cannot allow this to continue. We need to show, to show to the religious people that democratic values are a part of Judaism and Jewish history, and to expose the secular people to Judaism in a way that will inspire them and to teach them and to expose them to, to Judaism that is not contradicting democracy, but the opposite. But the my perception is that it's a minority of people who are really pushing the undemocratic positions, minority of people who are going with the extreme. And yet, do the non-religious, um, the secular uh, Israelis, do they believe it's a minority or do they believe that's the majority of religious Jews? First of all, you are right. You're 100% right, it's a minority, but it's a very noisy minority, A, and it's a very powerful minority, and that's B. And I want to explain. Take the bill of the Hametz. The bill of the Hametz didn't cause even one Jew to observe the rules of Hametz, not to eat Hametz. The opposite. It caused hundreds, if not thousands of people to eat Hametz in the first time in their lives. But this small minority, since it's very powerful politically and very noisy, causes a lot of damage. I could tell you that uh, I spoke on last Thursday, I met with two important leaders, I will not mention their names, from the right wing and from the left wing. And I said to them, you know, the problem of Israel is not the judicial reform. 80% could come to agreement about the judicial reform. That's not the story. The story is about the fear, which I could not blame, the secular tribe that understands and fears 
that the minority of the religious and ultra-Orthodox people could lead to a situation where their lifestyle would be threatened. And from the right wing, which is very close to the prime minister, said to me, you're 100% right. That's our problem. We don't know how to navigate with it because it's a small minority, but this small minority has a tremendous impact on this government. It's a, as a, a chief rabbi of a city in Israel, as the chairman of, of Tsohar, when you talk about educating or, or speaking to people, is, are we talking about actually having three sets of protests? The protests on the right, the protests on the left, and the protests in the middle saying, stop protesting? <laughs> How do you do it? So I, I don't tell nobody to stop protesting. The opposite. I encourage everybody to go to protest because I believe that if somebody goes to protest, it means that he cares. I mean, you have to understand. For, for me, it's shocking to see in the last eight months, hundreds of thousands of people leaving their comfort zone from the homes, from the living rooms, from the television, from the Netflix, from uh, the bars and going to protest and not, not, never mind what the protest about. For me, it's, it's amazing. So I encourage everybody to protest. But after they went to protest, I want both sides to come to have the dialogues, to talk. And, I'm, and, and the good news in the last eight months that hundreds of thousands of Israelis have spoken to each other what they've never done before. All of a sudden, the religious people started to understand how scared are their secular neighbors. And all of a sudden, the secular neighbors realized how their religious neighbors feel discriminated in Israel for many years, for many, for many reasons. And now I'm not going to justify this or to criticize the other. It's, it's an amazing experience. I'm telling you, I had in last Shavuot in my home. We invited, and we expected 20, 30 people to come to our yard, to our backyard. We had, I don't know, I don't remember if you went once to our house. We had more than 100 people that came. It was the first visit. Later on, we made an tissue. And then afterwards, we made our house a place that hosts dialogue between those who are in favor, the the, the judicial reform, those who are against. We want people to talk to each other. We want people to understand that there are real painful issues from both sides. I'm not, what I'm trying to say here is not that I'm justifying the supporters of the reform or or those who protest against it. I want the Jewish people to stay together and we have no other choice but to live together. In order to do that, we have to understand what is the common denominator of us, what is the destiny of us, and how we should move forward in order to make the life in Israel possible for both parties. Otherwise, one of the parties will not stay with us. And I'm afraid that I know what's the name of this party. It's the the secular tribe that will leave the country if we will not solve this problem. So what do you think is the next step? After the Chagim, Knesset is going to start back in session. There's going to be the continuing protests. How do you move people off that? What you're talking about is impacting 100, 1,000, 2,000, 20,000, but we're talking hundreds of thousands of people representing... representing Actually, we're talking about millions of people. Well, first of all, you're right. Um, The roadmap in Israel today is looking forward to see what's going to happen in the Supreme Court in two weeks from now. 
the 12th of September will be remembered as an historical day. I don't know what will be the decision, if because they're going to uh, to decide whether the reasonableness um, law that cancelled the reasonable issues, whether it's it's valid or not. This is the next step. I don't know what's going to happen then. This next step afterwards is the law that releases the Haredi people from going to the army, which is going to be a, um, a disaster for, I'm not, again, I'm not judging, I'm not judging the law by itself. I have my opinions about it. I'm judging it only from one perspective, and that's the Jewish uh, National Israeli Society uh, approach. For the Israeli society, it will be one step too much. And I dare to say that we might see thousands of secular Israelis refusing to go to the army if that law will pass. Uh, it, it's going, we are going to have a very, very tough time in Israel in the next couple of months. And what makes the problem even bigger is that, as you mentioned, there are three, three groups. But the groups that are heard are only from the right and from the left and from the extremists. The vast majority of the society that wants to compromise, that seeks for a solution, the 80% or the 70%, their, their voice is, is not heard. And that's the tragedy. And as a rav of an ear, you're part of a network of Rabbanim Rashiim, of chief rabbis of cities. Are other chief rabbis addressing this issue, perhaps not as passionately as you are, but within their own kihilot, within their own communities? Unfortunately, the answer is no. The answer is no. None of them. None from the from the chief rabbis of Israel, from bottom up or from up to the bottom. And no. There was one expression of one of the chief rabbis, but uh, you don't hear from them for nine months. The country is 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 driven crazy, and uh, people leave the country, and people uh, leave Judaism, and uh, no voice is heard from the rabbis, and it's one of the um, of the shames. And and I I know why they because they know that uh, where the butter is smeared, and nobody wants to challenge. Uh, the political establishment that uh, he takes his power from. Unfortunately, most of the rabbis are afraid to talk about these issues. There are a few, very few rabbis that dare to, to raise their voice, but uh, very few. So has, have you or Tsohar suffered because you're trying to bring people together? Suffering is a, is a tough word, but uh, do we suffer for not do we get uh, criticized from both sides for not taking position? Of course. But uh, we keep on saying we will not take a side in the political debate as we did not take a side in the disengagement. Uh, we will not take a side, but we will take a side in the Jewish prize that this judicial reform is uh, causing. And I keep on telling the politicians in the religious Zionist group and other groups that I don't care about the judicial reform. And the truth is that I, I don't have an opinion about the judicial reform, but I do have an opinion about the price that the Israeli society is paying because of the way the process was done and the Jewish price that we pay on a daily basis. And I keep on telling them, 
Kima Kima, slowly, slowly, is not just a slogan of redemption. It's a, it's a slogan of how how God conducts his world. Sometimes in mankind's history, there are 10 plagues in, in Egypt, but this is an exception. Usually God runs the world based on natural, by evolution and not by revolution. And sometimes it seems to me that politicians want to take position and to change the world upside down in one year. And there is a price for revolutions. Revolutions um, create a negative, respond in a way that nobody could have dreamt, could have imagined that this would be the, the way it will, it, will, it will lead to. And now we are paying the price and uh, the price is very, very high. And we don't know yet what's the price. What's the price in religious education? How many kids will take off the kippot? How many kids will will leave the country? How many people will purchase uh, foreign passports? It's a, it's, a, it's a heavy price that we pay today in Israel uh, because of this judicial reform. That could be a good reform. I'm not referring to it in its content. I'm referring to it just in the way it was done and in the way it's perceived by the secular, by the secular tribe. And yeah. we as rabbis, we come to every keeper and we have to ask ourselves, what have we done wrong? Or what should have been done differently? But most more important, what should we done? What should we do differently in the next year in order to fix the, the fractions, in order to, to bridge a bit the gaps that have been created in the last year? To move a little bit away from this topic, even though it will color most of other things, uh, this year there was a major change in terms of secular marriages in Israel when online marriages became a possibility through the state of Utah. And uh, secular Jews did not have to travel to Cyprus to get married if they didn't want to have a religious ceremony. The background of why religious ceremonies, why Rabbanu Tarashit, the chief rabbinate, is a different one. But before the judicial reform started, did you start seeing any changes in terms of your ability to bring people to observant uh, marriages because of what, of the online marriage? No, no, the online marriage is not cut so far too much, too many couples, maybe because uh, they are not aware of that. Maybe because uh, for many of them to fly to Cyprus is uh, even nicer. It's, it sounds more romantic. And the, because of a third reason, I think that many Israelis today postpone the marriage altogether. It's not that they want to met, get married civilly in Cyprus or in Utah. They don't want to get married altogether. So we have a, we have a big challenge to convince people uh, to get married. But um, we don't see a dramatic change of numbers that go to Cyprus or to Utah agreements because of this uh, on, online uh, option. We don't see that. That hasn't so far. And, and in terms of the... The number of of marriages that you're helping with among the non-observant community has it stayed the same? Has it grown? Has it dropped? No, we keep on growing. In the rabbinate, it keeps on reducing. By us, it keeps on growing. We uh, we added two more offices in two campuses: one in uh, Hoda Sharon uh, and one in uh, Tel Chai uh, campus near Kiryat Shmona. Uh, no, we Baruch Hashem, it keeps on growing by us. Unfortunately, by the rabbinate, it doesn't grow, it starts. And all one of the other things Soar became involved in was also kashrut, 
where Zohar began, began to give Echsherim and the law had changed, which opened up the possibility. How has that changed how the, what's happening in Israel now with also the Echsherim of Zohar? So, so far, there was supposed to be a reform of this government to, to cancel the law of Matan Kahana from the previous government regarding the Kashrut. But uh, so far, they haven't touched it because of various reasons. I guess, I guess they were busy with other issues. So far, uh, the situation is frozen. The, the bill did not enter to activity. And uh, so, so grows, but slowly. We have almost uh, 400 restaurants. Um, we now we won in a battle in the Supreme Court uh, so that the rabbinate will have to give us a permission to give kashrut to uh, products that are imported from outside Israel, from overseas. But there are not dramatic changes in the, in the kashrut market in Israel now. And everybody's waiting to see what will be the reform that the new government will bring to the kashrut market. So far, no news and no news is good news. And the on the issue of the chief rabbinate, which we've mentioned in a number of different ways, the election was postponed. There's a lot of suggestions that it was postponed for political reasons to allow certain people to be able to have be candidates. Ten years ago, you were a candidate for. Unfortunately, those those plans didn't happen. We we both had relate had conversations then at that time as well. Who do you think there will be a viable candidate for the chief rabbinate from the Datilumi community, or is it something that we've completely lost? No, it depends. We don't know if um, if it depends in one man. His name is Ayyadir, the middle, the leader of Shafs. He has the control of uh, 40, 45 percent of the voters. And if he will come to agreement with Smotrich, there will be a Datilumi candidate. If not, they will they will not but to be honest with you for me um uh, the tilumi candidate is not the story i don't care if it will be a haredi candidate or it will be the tilumi candidate what i care is if it will be a candidate that will take responsibility for claris Israel, that will understand the need to approach to secular people and to talk to them in their language we need a, a rabbi that uh, will be sensitive to the conversion crisis, that will be sensitive to the agunot crisis, to the women that do not receive get. We need a rabbi that will know how to uh, bridge gaps between the T and not the T people. That's the kind of rabbi we need. Doesn't matter if he's the T Lumi or Haredi. That, that's not the story. The story is about responsibility for Clar Israel and not responsibility for the politicians that appointed you. Appointed you. Unfortunately, in the way rabbis are elected today, I'm afraid to say that uh, the chances that it will be a candidate that thinks of Clarissa and not about the politicians that uh, appointed him is quite uh, low. So our time is coming to a close, but unfortunately, we've been talking about a lot of problems. We started with some really good things. Walking into this new year, what are the things that make, uh, that make you hopeful? I'll tell you, I want to say something, which is, we describe all the bad things that occur to us, but I want you to know one thing. When I see the passion of the Israelis from all sides, those who are in favor of this, of the judicial reform and those who are against, and when I see their willingness to fight and to struggle, I see there is, there is a hope. There is a hope because people want 
to change something. People want to live together and people are looking to find a solution. It's, we, it will be much worse before it will, come, it will become better. But eventually we see a group of people from all sides that want to live together and want to make the Jewish life in Israel in a much higher level, in much higher standards. I believe that eventually there is a light in the, in the edge of the tunnel, but it will take time to find it. And on that note, Rav Stav, I, I thank you for your time. I know it, you've been very busy, especially when you come to the United States for just a few days. But I'm looking forward to the first weekend in January in 2024, Parashat Shemot, where you'll be able to join us in person at KINS, and our conversation won't be limited to 30 minutes online. Uh, That's Kolak correct. Yes. Looking forward. Shana tova to everybody. Shana tova, and thank you for all that you do and the time you give to all of Klal Yisrael. Have a wonderful, thank you, thank wonderful you. day. Shana tova. Bye-bye. Shana tova.